Let's talk about doubt. Anybody got some doubts about this series? I do, no. <laughs> we, uh, we're gonna talk about a common experience in life, doubt. I remember uh, growing up uh, high school, we used to play uh, card games on the bus rides to basketball games to make the time go by. Now you have screens, but back then we had, uh, who remembers uh, the, the football game that was just little dits and dots? Anybody remember that one, Thomas? You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, we had that as our video game, and then we had cards, and we would play lots of card games. One of the card games uh, that we played, uh, I've had to call Doubt It in my uh, dealings at home, and, uh, but on the bus we called it something else. Uh, maybe you know the game. Anyway, uh, uh, it, was a, it was a game uh, where you would basically call people on their bluffs. You would take two decks of cards. Uh, I grew up angry Baptist, so all I have is Uno cards. Anyway, uh, uh, but... Uh, You'd take two decks of cards, you'd put them together. There'd be eight of each card then. Everybody with me on that? There's eight of each, two, three, four, whatever. And, and, and the way you would play the game is that you would deal all of those cards out. All 104 cards would be passed out to whoever's playing, and then you just start trying to get rid of your cards. And you would say, well, I got six aces, right? And if you held a hand that had three aces in it, you know there's only eight, six is a lie, and you would say, doubt it. Everybody with me? And then that person would have to take those aces back. Well, if, if people didn't doubt, uh, the pile would get large. And the whole aim of the game is get rid of your cards. So you had to kind of mix your bluffs with your truths. Sometimes you wanted them to doubt you because if they doubted it and they were wrong, they had to pick up the cards. Uh, but if uh, you somehow snuck by saying, I have one seven, and people are like, well, that's possible. You could have one seven. Uh, you could keep going until all your cards were released and you would win the game. Go play it uh, this afternoon. It's a lot of fun. Doubt it. Uh, it's, <laughs> sorry. I don't know that's why it's so funny for people. All right. Uh, it's, it's got a different name, but we're not going to go into it. Doubt's a daily part of life. Why? Because we don't know. I saw on a t-shirt recently, the only thing I'm sure of is that I'm not sure. That's fair, right? In lots of things in life, we just don't know. And so doubt, question, is part of our existence. That's why I like to go with the familiar. Anybody got a usual when you go out to eat? I have a series of usuals. In fact, if I go to a restaurant and I've been there before, I've already picked out what I'm gonna have. Because I know that it works. If it ain't broke, why? Because you take the question out of the experience. Now some of you guys, you're crazy. And you guys do this, mm, this, and good on you, have fun, see how that works out. I'm having my fajitas, they work. I like the usual, I like to sit in the same place. Some of you do too, because you're where you were last week, and so are you. We like the familiar, we abhor uh, the things that we're not sure of. When forced to face the unknown, it's a coin toss, isn't it? Anybody ever been in a situation where you're like, well, here we go. I was uh, with Eleanor, this is 15 years ago. We were on a trip with Compassion International, a former uh, partner of ours that supports children's uh, ministries around uh, the third world uh, that we live in. And, uh, and so we were in Honduras, kind of doing a tour with Compassion International. We got to this one meeting uh, where everybody was given one of those like plastic chairs that you'd have for outdoor you know, seating. Um, except in Honduras, they made, they're made with plastic that's about, I don't know, 
0.0001 inches thick. Has anybody ever sat in one of these chairs? You're just like. And they're like, yeah, have a seat. And I'm like, well, we'll see how this goes. I'll let you know how it went. About 30 minutes into it, that chair disintegrated from beneath me. Right? Eleanor remembers. Uh, And it's embarrassing. And you're like, I thought that would have happened. I doubted this thing could hold me. I was right. We're going to talk about doubt as we move forward because doubt's a part of faith. We're going to find out that it's not as big a problem as maybe some people think it is. In fact, there's lots of good things that can come from doubts. And our Bible's riddled, full of people who doubt. It's just a part of the disciple-making process. Uh, we, we, we have this, say it with me, this is our kind of mission as, as a church. We've, we've borrowed it from uh, some verses in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 called the Great Commission. But this is what we hold to. Everybody say it with me. We live to glorify God by being disciples. You make disciples. Being a disciple, that's your personal mission in life. Be better at following Jesus. But that's going to come with questions. Periods of doubt, downturns in your faith. It's just natural for you and I to wonder. As you are seeking to honor God and his commission for your life, to go and make disciples, you're going to run into people just like you who have questions about why and what and how. I think most of the time when I'm in a a disciple-making situation, that's like the preponderance of what we're dealing with. Yeah, I know it says this, but what about this? And we deal with doubt even as we wrestle with our own. We're in good company in that same passage where Jesus gives this commission to go and make disciples. We find out that the first disciples wrestled with doubt. The verses that precede the Great Commission go like this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, verse, 20, or verse 16 of chapter 28 in Matthew. They went to the mountain, which Jesus had directed them to meet them on. It's been 40 days since his resurrection. They'd seen him multiple times in his resurrected form. These guys were frontline faith of you know, believers. They were going to be the backs on which the early church would be built. And the 11 go to meet Jesus to get the Great Commission. And this is what Matthew informs us. I love that our Bibles doesn't pull, they don't pull punches. It's like, hey, these guys struggled too. It says when they saw him, Jesus, on this mountain, they worshiped him. Duh, he's the son of God, back from the dead. Give it up, right? But then Matthew, he closes this. But some, what? Doubted. If the varsity team has their doubts, us JVers are going to have ours too. Are you with me? It's just a part of this moving forward with him. Turn to someone next to you and answer this question as we get going. What causes you to doubt? What causes us collectively to doubt? But talk about your life. What are, what are the things in your life that bring about doubt? And we're, we're going to kind of keep in the lane of the spiritual. What, what are the things that bring about spiritual doubt in your life? Go ahead. No, don't talk to me, talk to her. Okay, everybody got some? Some of you didn't even move. That's just disappointing. Come on, people. Caffeinate before you get here, okay? 
Uh, on the count of three, we're all going to say our favorite one. Everybody? One, two, three. Okay, that was very muddled. Um, let me throw you mine. How about this? Questions we can't answer. Does that cause doubt? Doesn't that frustrate you? How come I can't just succinctly and definitively say this about this problem or this issue? Lots of gray, right? Questions we can't answer. Situations that seem unfair. Come on, people. How come that guy, who's a complete dirtbag atheist agnostic, not following Jesus, has what he has, and I'm over here suffering with this? Doesn't seem fair. Maybe we'll get into fair as part of this series and our misconceptions on what fair is. But, but certainly, seems, things can seem unfair. How about this is the big one. Hurts that we can't resolve. If God's real, why did this happen? And why isn't he making it go away? These are certainly some of the causes of doubt. They're inevitable in the broken world that we live in. Satan loves to exploit these areas where doubt crops up, doesn't he? Like that's been his play all along. As he slithers into the garden in Genesis chapter three, what's his move? Did God really say? He takes the words of God and the things that the, 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 the woman and the man knew and he twists them and he causes question. And in doing so, uh, he does then what he's been doing for two, you know, wow, I'm gonna mess up the numbers a long time. Are you with me? He constantly comes to us and whispers his lies, leads us towards doubt. And we follow him because that's like a legitimate option where the questions of life come up. Yeah, maybe you are right. Maybe God can't. Maybe God, God doesn't. Maybe God won't. And off we go. God, on the other hand, loves to meet us in our doubts. And as we're going to learn through this series, he loves to take us by the hand and walk us through those doubts as a means of deepening our faith in him. We understand this on some scale if we've ever parented a child. Has anybody ever parented a child here? I know a lot of you have. Uh, if you haven't yet, you're going to figure this out too. Your, uh, one of your chief roles as a parent is to get, some, you know, get your kid past the fears, the questions that they have in life. Let's go, buddy, right? You can do this, whether it's jumping into the pool for the first time or riding their bike for the first time. Or I remember uh, my son Cooper was about 12 years old. He finally hit the, the line marker to be able to get on the Shikra roller coaster at, uh, at uh, you know, Bush Gardens over there. You know? And so he's so excited and we stand for two hours in line and then he gets up to the roller coaster. He's strapped into this thing and he starts losing his stuff. Has anybody been on this? He just completely... And he'll tell you, this is how he felt. He's like, I was, I was so excited to do this, but now I'm actually here. I don't want to do it. And he did the walk of shame. Has anybody ever seen the walk of shame <laughs> off the roller coaster? He had, a, he had the attendant come up and unstrap him. And, he <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'll see you at the end. Because uh, uh, no mercy. Anyway, uh, but sure enough, I saw him at the end. He walked down the stairs and waited for us there. And I, what, what was my first move? You chicken, you loser. Some of you are like, maybe. No, it's not what I did. It's not what I did. I took my son. I was like, hey, bud, bad break. But you know what? They didn't move the roller coaster. It's still right here. 
And if you want to get back in line, I'll go with you again. And they just took the once. We waited another couple hours and we got on the ride. And I said, all right, man, I'm right here next to you. You stay. He's like, I don't know, Dad. I was like, cool. And I looked at him. Anybody ever done this? Look at me, bud. In about 15 seconds, this is going to be one of the best things that ever happened to you. Just stay with me. Okay. And the fear and the tears were wiped away by the speed of the ride. And his face that was in utter horror just erupted with this big, goofy, wide open grin as he enjoyed what all of us who have had the pleasure of doing know is one of the greatest experiences in human existence, the roller coaster. And try to get him out of line after that. Are you with me? That's what our Father in heaven does. Hey man, I know this is tough, but let's get back in line. Let's keep going, I'll go with you. I know you got your doubts, but let me steer you through your fears. We're gonna kind of bounce through our scriptures to the different characters who wrestled with doubt. The most famous we're gonna tackle this morning. Anybody remember his name? Yeah, he did the English muffins, and he did <laughs> doubt in ways uh, that made him the most famous. And if you, sorry, it's, it's kind of a loose Sunday. Uh, Thomas, one of the disciples. Um, we only really have uh, three occurrences of, of his mention, or at least his ex- extended mention. Uh, and he's most well-known for the place where he doubts. It's probably not that fair, because we all doubt, right? Don't look down your nose at Thomas. You're just like him. In fact, in his other instances, he was kind of like, you know, uh, maybe the captain of the, of the disciples. He, he showed real fearlessness in the first time that he's mentioned. In John chapter 11, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem at the beginning of what would be our Holy Week. He's going to stop off in Bethany. He's going to uh, uh, help his friend Lazarus, who has died, come back from the grave. But in this going, he says to his disciples, hey, it's time. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm summarizing, but that's essentially what he says. And Thomas was the one who said, all right, John chapter 11, verse 6, let's all go that we may die with him. I mean, it's like a scene from Braveheart, you know? We didn't all get dressed up for nothing. Let's go do this. And Thomas was the one that led the charge. Thomas was probably an engineer because when Jesus was talking about going uh, to a a place uh, that he would prepare for them, uh, 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 that his father's uh, house has many rooms, and I'm going to go get one ready for you. And he says, you'll know the way when it's time to go. And Thomas, the engineer, says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You didn't drop a pin in my ways app. We do not know the way. And he's the one who asked Jesus, could you clarify? What what are you talking about? John 14 verse 5 says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus gives one of his most famous lines. What do he say? He says, well, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through me. I mean, he just teed them up, right? Here you go, Jesus. And Jesus says what he says and drops the mic. So Thomas was a fearless Thomas. Thomas was a clarifying Thomas. In fact, I think those two attributes are what made the crucifixion so tough for Thomas. 
because he had been all in with Jesus. Let's go die. He had had his questions answered by Jesus. What do you mean? And he was confident that this carpenter from Nazareth was who he said he was. He just didn't get the part about him having to die. And so Thomas comes out of the weekend that we just remembered this past week, um, stuck in day two. Day one, Jesus dies. Day three, Jesus resurrects. But in between was Saturday, this day two existence of doubt and disillusionment. And we can get there. You had a couple day two days in life. Thomas is stuck there as our story opens. So with Thomas's help, we're going to figure out, at least as we begin this series, some things that we can do when we experience doubt. Some things that we can do when we experience doubt. In verse 24, it says that Thomas was one of the 12. He was called the twin. Uh, but he was not with them when Jesus came. It's referring to the verses just prior to these in John chapter 20. Jesus, on the night of his resurrection, appears to his other disciples. And, and he says, hey, guys, here I am. Here's the wounds in my hands and in my side. Peace be with you, right? Let's, he kind of gives a precursor to the gospel. Let's go and share the truth you know, that I've, I've given you with everybody else. And, and, and the, the, the 11, or excuse me, the 10, Judas is gone, the 10 who were there, uh, we're like, oh, verification. We saw the empty tomb, but here he is in the flesh, in our presence. And they can't stop talking about it. That's why when they get with Thomas, they're like, we saw him, we saw him, we saw him, we saw him. But Thomas had not been there when Jesus had come. Maybe in your Bibles, uh, Thomas is uh, called Didymus. That's what the Greek word for twin is. Thomas called the twin or called Didymus, if you want, for the rest of this morning, and call him T. Diddy, if you'd like. There you go. All right. Can I make a quick observation before we get into the rest of the answers to that question, what do we do when we experience doubt? Can I make a quick observation about Thomas here? It's kind of important. Now, when we go through our faith struggles, when we have doubt, it's so crucial that we stick with those who have faith in the midst of those things. Separation from believers, put another way, often deepens doubt. Have you noticed this? The, the further from the, the fire of faith that you get, the colder you become. Now, I don't think it's uh, any mistake that John, as he relates this story, says, hey, Tom wasn't there. So much of life as you had to be there. Has anybody ever like, told a story and people aren't laughing and you're like, well, you had to be there. Because if you had been there, it was hilarious. This is like 50% of my illustrations as I preach. But if you'd been there, you'd know, right? But if you weren't there, you're just kind of like, okay. There's such an importance that we should put on um, uh, sticking to things. That's why uh, the writer of Hebrews says, hey, do not forsake the gathering together of one another, right? Be in each other's presence, be a part of the conversation. Bring your questions so that you can lean on others for the answers you might lack. So that you can discover what God has to say for you, or to you in those things from his word. Stay connected so that your doubts don't steer you away from God. I had the joy of talking with an old friend this morning at the life group that I, I hang out in on Thursday mornings. Um, Hadn't seen him for a while. He's 
you know, uh, uh, you know, Bay Life history. He's just always been a part of the fabric around here. But I just hadn't seen him for a while. We had this great conversation, uh, you know, about, hey, man, you ever done that? Hey, what are you doing here? Which is a horrible way to start, right? Uh, you know, after seeing someone for a while. Uh, just don't, be, don't act that surprised. But, uh, uh, but, you know, it's like, oh, man, I, I, I showed up at Easter. And in the, the context of that service, things started popping and happening in my heart that I realized things need to change in the direction that I'm going in life. And so uh, I was there, and now I'm here. And listen, I'm, I'm not saying that presence, because I, I sat in church my whole life, and, and there was never a stirring. I'm not saying that you, 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 you have to uh, you know, absolutely be here, and then when you are, it's a guaranteed push through doubt. I'm not saying that. I'm not naive, okay? Because some of you are sitting here being like, well, I'm, I've been here for 45 minutes, Mark. Nothing's happening. Okay, I get that. It can happen. But I will tell you this. It will, it, it's a guarantee probably that it won't happen if you're not here. So much of what God wants to do with us involves us having access to him, being in his presence, being available to his work in us. So that's just a quick observation. Let's get to the answers to the question, which is this. What do we do when we experience doubt? Three things. Three things that Thomas teaches us. The first one is this. Be honest with what you're thinking. It's okay to doubt. It's crucial that you admit it. Because like in the physical realm, if you're feeling poorly, but you're that guy who's like too tough for doctors, nah, I don't need to go see the doctor. And then finally after years of dealing with increasing symptoms, he tells you at stage four, I wish I had talked to you earlier. Okay, it's the same thing in the spiritual realm. You know, little, uh, you know, cracks in our faith, just small fissures in what we believe. They can become these huge gaping doubts and, and drive us away from him if we don't talk about them when they, when they arrive. I love Thomas. He's got 10 friends who are like, we saw him. It's actually in the, in the Greek uh, you know, language. It's in the verb tense that they, they won't shut up about seeing him. We saw him, we saw him, we saw him, we saw him. The other disciples, it tells us in verse 25, told him, we have seen the Lord over and over again. You wouldn't believe it, Thomas. He's like, you're right, I don't. He says to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the the mark of the nails, and place my hands into his side, unless I actually poke him in the ribs where the spear went in. He says, I'll never believe. And that's an emphatic. Everybody gets the never there? He's done. He gave three and a half years of his life, was willing to die with Jesus, which we wonder, really? Because <laughs> Jesus did. But he was, said, he was in. He had gotten his questions answered, but he got to day two and he was out. He's like, I just don't know if I can believe unless I see. And we say, oh, shame, 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 Thomas. I say, good on you, bro. There's something about being authentic in this Christian life that gets lost in churchiness, right? Everybody's trying to put on some show, make all the other Christians believe like your faith is as good as theirs, maybe even better. And inside you're dying. What good is that? 
Uh, if, if we can separate ourselves, there's lots of great churches in our town, but if, if, if there's unhealthy churches that demand that, that veneer of spirituality, let's be different from them, shall we? Let's be a church that admits when we're struggling with day two doubts and talks about them with those who can help. Write the email, ask the question, bother people with what you're wondering. The church, listen to me, look at me. The church and the Christian home should be the safest places to ask the hardest questions. Did everybody hear me on that? The church and your homes. So if you've got that kid like I do, who's asking these crazy questions, and you're so frustrated with them not accepting your answers, don't shut them out, invite them back again so that you can remain engaged in the conversation. I am praying for the day when the lights come on and I wanna be there when they do. And this will be a church, just so you know. I saw so-and-so who does such and such and is part of so-and-so community. They are welcome here because this is the place where God wants to meet with them and talk to them and show them who he is for real and lead them from whatever their doubts are, whatever their issues are, into the way that he has for all of us. This church is an open door to people with their problems and doubts. Are you with me? If you don't like that, there's lots of other places you can go to that'll put on the shine with you. Go find one. We're not playing that here. (laughs) So the first thing, be willing Be honest to share what you're thinking. The second thing is kind of what I talked about in my observation. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. Like right now, if you're doubting, good on you. You made it here. Thanks for showing up. Let's work through whatever you're facing. Let's talk about the struggles of your life. I love this. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and John makes mention, and Tommy's there. Tommy was with them, the same guy who said, unless I touch the side and poke the nail holes and I'll never believe. We don't know what happened. You're like, eight days, is this Monday? Now, the Jews just had this way of talking about weeks in terms of eights instead of sevens. They would include the actual resurrection Sunday, which is when uh, the, the, the actual conversation about Jesus appearing to Thomas, or appearing to the other disciples, not Thomas, would have occurred. It's probably resurrection Sunday or, or Sunday the next and, and they're having church again, whatever that looked like, right, between the 11 of them, and Tom's there. He shows up. We've already discussed the dangers of distance. Let me talk about uh, the safety of presence. God can work on us if we're there, if we're willing to engage with him and offer him our questions. So be honest with what you're thinking. Keep showing up. And then this is the biggie. Let Jesus lead you to faith. Let Jesus lead you to faith. Now, it might not happen like it did in this story, where he actually visibly shows up and has a conversation with you. But through his word, through his people, uh, through uh, your study and and, and your seeking answers, and your openness, this is key, your openness to him providing them. He can lead you out of doubt 
out of day two existence and into life with him. Many of you know the story. It says in verse 26 that although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and he said, peace be with you. A common refrain uh, in his post-resurrection uh, conversations with people, kind of freaky to see someone who's been dead, right? So peace is what he confers in his first appearance and in this one. But he's only there, or primarily there at least, for one guy. Doesn't address the other guys. He says, hey, Tom, and this is so great. He goes right to the issues that Thomas has. Hey, Tom, a little bird told me. Okay, sorry. I'm God, and so I know that your issues uh, reside with my resurrection uh, body. In fact, uh, you're not just going to take anybody. I might be a, you know, an actor portraying. So, so I, I heard you when you said to the uh, fellows here, unless you put your hand in my side and touch the holes uh, in my wounds, uh, you won't believe. And so he goes right down the list. Hey, hey, Tom, put your finger here. Check out my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Go ahead, buddy. Let me address your exact issues. And then he says this, do not disbelieve, but believe. We're going to be talking about this a lot over the next few weeks. Um, doubt and faith are two sides of the same coin. They're like uh, the, the two yards on the other, either side of a fence. And day two living is kind of having the fence you know, split you right up through the middle here, and, and, and you have questions that you don't know the answers to, and you can fall off that fence into doubt, disbelief, or into faith, belief. And Jesus wants to help you as you sit on that fence, as you wrestle with those issues, and pull you into faith in him. And if you could get past those things, I will attest to you as I've gone through the struggles of my Christian life personally and as a pastor leading a church, there have been many times where I've sat on that front seat getting ready to preach for you and I wasn't sure I was really believing the things that I was about to say. When my kids came back from college and told me they were leaving my faith, that was day two for a long time in this man's heart. But I will tell you now that as God has in those situations met me in those moments and addressed my specific concerns and gently pulled me off the fence of doubt into faith in him, I stand here more resolved than I've ever been that the Jesus I serve is real, alive, and coming again. That he is who he says he is. And that he will do as he will do, and I will accept that as his will and faithfully follow. Hopeful, believing. That's what Jesus says to Tom. Hey, man, believe. Tom does. In the next verse, it says, My Lord and my God. We're almost to the end of John's gospel. It starts in the first chapter where he kind of gives, you know, 18 verses of theology on who Jesus is. And then Jesus picks his first disciples. He meets this guy, Nathaniel, who uh, uh, is told by his friend Philip that I've met the Messiah. And Nathaniel does what Thomas does. On the front end of this gospel, he's like, whatever. 
And then Jesus comes and he says, hey, Nate, I saw you standing over by the tree yesterday. And Nathaniel knows that Jesus wasn't there. And he's like, you are a prophet. You are somebody special. And he's like, you think this is good? You're, you're, that's nothing. You Come and hang out with me. I'll show you some stuff. And 20 chapters goes by and we get one more instance of one of the disciples being like, I doubt it. And Jesus says, no, you can trust me. And that disciple says, my God and my Lord. It's like in a couple verses, John's going to say these things. They're not everything that Jesus did, but I wrote down these things so that you might believe. Whoever reads this book, here we are a couple thousand years later doing just that. He tells these stories so that you and I would get to the point in our faith that we would say, like Thomas, my Lord and my God of this Jesus who died and rose again. A couple thoughts as we close. You'll hear me say this in different ways throughout this series, but doubt does not disqualify our faith. If you're worried about that and that's why you're not sharing yours, doubt is a part of faith. It doesn't disqualify it. In fact, doubt is often the means by which God makes our faith stronger. So lean into your questions. Seek the answers that he can give. Jesus wants to meet you in your stuff and show you himself. I'm going to skip down, if I can, uh, Chris, to those next statements. We'll be talking a lot about faith uh, as we continue. And so write this down if you're taking notes. Faith is not the absence of doubt, which is often how it's defined. They're different, doubt and faith. No, it's not the absence. Faith's not the absence of doubt. But again, as I've said it in another way already, faith is often the vehicle that God uses to walk us through doubt. Uh, It's almost a year now that my uh, father-in-law, Byron, came to live with us. Uh, He's uh, a veteran, and so... uh, Uh, The VA has given him something like this to help him walk. He's 90 years old, and things don't work like they used to. Uh, But with this thing, he's a ninja, right? Because you can, like, spin this. He does this in our kitchen. He's just, like, he's doing all these crazy moves, right? And he's kind of, you know, walking around. And and sometimes he'll park it over there and kind of do the shuffle to whatever he needs. But he's never too far from this. Because you'll get that and kind of shuffle back. And then all of a sudden, he's back to... Right? When I think about faith and God's um, uh, presence in our doubts, it's like he gives us this. Hey, man, life's hard. The walk, the journey is difficult not knowing, not seeing, having questions. Hey, let me, by my spirit, provide you with what you'll need to make it through. Don't be afraid of your doubts. Find me in them, and I'll help you walk. That's my prayer as we go through this series together as uh, we get ready to sing 
We're going to sing the song that we sang right before I got up here about the faithfulness of our God. Uh, If you've never uh, had a chance to put your faith in our faithful God, I'll be posted up over here. We'd love to let you know who he is so that you could trust him and begin this life with him as he helps you in the doubts that you face. If you've been, uh, you know, like so many, kind of away for a time, wrestling with doubts and no one else knows, let today be the day that you let them out. Get all Thomas up in here and share what's going on so that Jesus can meet you in those things. Come and talk to me or someone else. We have a faithful God who just loves to meet us in our moments and steer us through. Will you stand with me as we sing?